0: Let every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Heavenly Father, as we come to commemorate the anniversary of the descent of the Holy Spirit upon your Holy Church, we pray that we will feel the power of that event as we gather here today. May your Holy Spirit come to us opening our ears and our minds, our thoughts, and above all, opening our hearts, that we may feel inclined today to share this wonderful message with at least one other person. This we pray in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. to be able to say that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. It's so simple, yet so profound, and such a shame that there are even bishops in the church today who are unable to make that statement. Our task is still very much an unfinished one. Firstly, I'd like to say how delighted I am uh, that my brother, colleague, uh, Bishop Bill Murdoch uh, is with us here today. He is a, a neighbor, geographically, at least to you, and uh, to and times in the year he's also a neighbor geographically to me when he heads towards Labrador. Uh, but I, I am. Uh, it, it is so. He will tell you the same thing. I'm sure it's so rare that we have the opportunity for uh, bishops to gather together in worship rather than at a a formal provincial function, that we rejoice when that happens. And I am particularly moved, Bishop Bill, that you could be with us uh, here this morning and join in our Pentecostal celebrations. Also want to say how pleased I am to see Father Terence and his flock uh, from St. Bridget of Kildare, Medway primarily, uh, who recently had the misfortune of having a, a fire in their church. Even though today, when we think of the fire of the Holy Spirit, we are reminded that uh, from the fire, good things happen. We, don't, we hope we don't have to have a fire for good things to happen. But when it does, let it symbolize to us the uh, purging of things that we should not be doing and the glorification of things we should. And it is so good to have you from St. Bridget's come here this morning uh, uh, to this, your, your mother church, it's the church from which you were spawned, as it were, and to, uh, don't carry that imagery too far, <laughs> uh, but to, ha- to, to have you here on this day, the birthday of the church is particularly significant and I appreciate if you had to uh, you know, disrupt other plans. Uh, it would be a bit inconvenient for this to happen today, but I hope the rewards for Holy Trinity and for you will be equally great. And remember uh, St. Bridget's that although you are a, a small gathering, you are very much in our thoughts and prayers at all times. And perhaps because of your smallness in numbers, you are very precious to us, and please keep that in mind. It is important for us to commemorate the anniversary of the birthday of the church, because ever since that first birthday when the Holy Spirit descended, the people, even amongst its followers, have been uh, predicting its demise. Every century had famous people who said, enjoy it because the church won't be here this next century. Perhaps the most uh, famous of these uh, was the Bishop of Oxford, uh, Bishop uh, Samuel Wilberforce, who in 1859, after reading Charles Darwin's great manifestation of the origin of the species, predicted the church would last 25 more years. Now, less than two years after that, uh, poor Bishop Wilberforce fell off his horse and struck his head on a rock and went to be with his maker. (laughs) But the church has survived ever since. And as one of the archbishops said, it's, it's a body that's always been one generation from extinction. People are always predicting that this will be the end. And there are times when even those of us who are stalwart in our faith get worried about it. And yet, uh, when, as we um, sing uh, in, 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 in one of the hymns, which I hope we'll always have from time to time, one of the verses which many hymn books have cut out, though with a scornful wonder men see her sore oppressed, by schisms rent asunder, by heresies distressed. Yet saints, that's you, yet saints their watch are keeping, their cry goes up, how long? But soon the night of weeping will be the war of song. and Those of you here at Holy Trinity, ever since I first came on the scene, heard predictions of you ultimately coming home to this particular building, which you felt God was calling you to, not just because of its beauty, but because of its situation where it is in this part of Marlborough where, like the apostles on the day of Pentecost, you can go out those doors and begin ministry without having to go very far. And so we praise you for your endurance. I watched with great interest the uh, reports that were coming uh, from Steve uh, of your progress because I guess I'm of little faith when it comes to some things, and I couldn't see how you could be in here nearly as soon as you did because I visited here Five or six years ago and uh, it was nothing short, I was going to say a miracle, many things are miracles, but it was because so many of you (coughs) came together for that common cause and what you see before you now is a result of that faith and that working. And you remember that just because you have moved into the building, and I'm not talking about further repairs or uh, that sort of thing, now that you have your fortress from which to work, from which to come and strengthen and revive yourselves, what is expected of you is even greater. Every now and then, the Archbishop of Canterbury makes a statement, and every time he does it, someone finds fault with it. And... (laughs) Lots of times, if I may say so, there's great reason to find fault with some of the things he says. But that notwithstanding, thereafter Christmas he was interviewed by one of the British newspapers. <clears throat> and in the course of the interview, he said, uh, You know, sure, there are a lot of churches that are declining. We have lots of churches that are closing down. But generally speaking, if the church has a good, dedicated, hard-working priest who selects around him good leadership, that church will thrive. And people took exception to it, and someone writes in and says, look, I've been a genuine hard-working priest, I've been doing this, that, and something else, and yet my numbers are diminishing rather than flourishing. And we know that there are uh, certainly exceptions to every rule, but by and large in my own experience in the last 22 years in particular as a bishop, there is much truth in what he said. And when a church really folds up, it is rare that that will happen when the leadership is good. You have been blessed here with Father Michael, his clergy, and the other leaders that are with you. And as good as they are, as called by God as they are, they will not accomplish the vision they have and you have without you. When you get time sometime today, don't try to do it now, Holy scripture, the first book of Samuel chapter 10. The people of Israel thought they wanted a leader and eventually, uh, even though Samuel wasn't too happy about it, Uh, said they they needed a king. And God revealed to Samuel who to pick. And hiding among the baggage was Saul. Saul, when he stood out, was head and shoulders taller than anybody else. He looked like a leader. He looked like someone who uh, could have people follow him. And God said to Samuel, this is the man. And Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it on Saul's head. and Then he held him up before uh, the people and says, here is your king, greet him. And something like yesterday at the ordination, everyone started clapping and shouting and, 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 and greeting him. But although that was happening, they were not united in it. There were skeptics among them. This man can never lead us. Look where he's from and look who his father is. Look who some of his relatives are. You know, the thing that goes on. And Samuel said, they need time to reflect on this. So he told them, go home to your houses, go home to your tribes, uh, keeping in mind that God has has chosen them. Well, we're told in the, uh, I think around verse 10, uh, Saul also went down to Gibeah, where he lived. That's not the important thing. He was told to do that, and he did it. But then the phrase that follows has always been a hallmark in my own ministry. Scripture says, when he went down to Gibeah, there went with him, Saul, a group of people whose hearts God had touched. And that's the secret to success in ministry. That's the secret to parish growth, to have good leaders, but shoulder to shoulder with them, a group of men and women who have been touched by God and who know God and who know that he is calling them for no uh, small task. And I have been blessed today, as you have been told, I'm commemorating 50 years as my ordination as a priest and 51 since I became a deacon, a lay reader some years before that, so I know I'm getting old just to fill in all those numbers, but... Almost everywhere that I was sent by the bishop, and I never ever applied to go anywhere, when he told me he wanted me to go to a certain place, it was, I wasn't unique in that. That was the way things were done in my day. Uh, that's another sign you're growing old when you keep talking about in your day. I know, but uh, at that particular time, every parish I went to, and in the 50 years I had eight or nine parishes, it is good to, for me to be able to tell you that I always had a group of people whose hearts God had touched. And whenever the time came to leave a parish, when the bishop wanted me to go somewhere else, there was always some delegation going to the bishop saying, can he stay with us longer? I realized perhaps one more year and the same delegation would be going to the bishop and say, can you take him away and give us somebody else? <laughs> that happens too. Uh, but uh, I, uh, I've always attributed the success we have had to the fact that I never did it alone, that there were always wonderful people, people far more godly than I was sometimes, many times. To know people who could hardly read or write and yet who had daily communion with God in such a wonderful way gives me one of the best memories I have. And it has been my experience here, and I've been coming here now, 10 years, as you've already heard, uh, that I have seen it. And it. They haven't all been good times here. You've had your roller coaster rides as well. But throughout it all, because the priest and the other clergy were dedicated, and because the people working side by side with him. Were people who knew Jesus. We have the success we have to do, we have today, but that just reminds us, as I told you in a letter I wrote you, to whom much has been given, much will be required. And that's why I think this vesture, this venture is going to succeed and succeed well though you are going to have challenges, especially when the time comes to pay your heating bill next uh, January, uh, but God has called you here. And he's called you here in French Hill. and He's called you here when you walk out that door, you haven't got to go very far before you see great opportunity for ministry. And I thank God you've responded to that. Prepare for the challenge if you hope to make a difference. The worst thing that can happen to Holy Trinity is for you to say, well, we have our church now. It's a beautiful place for us to do all this wonderful worship in, all this wonderful music, all these wonderful things, and uh, let's just enjoy it. We've worked hard long enough. I don't think any of you will think that way, but I'm warning you just in case you do. That will be the death of your parish. Your parish is strong because it is involved in the ministry both to yourselves and to other people. And don't think that you won't be attacked by it. I said yesterday in the sermon to our newest priest here that from the moment hands were laid on his head, he becomes a special object for the devil to try to thwart him and he'll try to thwart you uh, in this uh, wonderful edifice you have in which to worship God and to restore yourselves. I think the phrase that goes in my mind over and over again is in the book of Revelation. It's another one for you to look up today. Revelation 12, 12. And that's easy. Chapter 12, verse 12. And oh, it, it's so dramatic. I'm going to take the extra minute. If I, can. I always like it when you know, um, uh, evangelists that can pick up the Bible and open it. It falls wide open right at the spot they want. I don't have that blessing. But, and then, because of the small print, I have difficulty when I find it. But here it is. I can see it more or less. (laughs) Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil is come down unto you having great wrath because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. The devil knows his time is short. And the devil knows because it is short he will do the best he can to try to succeed, though he knows already that he's lost the overall battle. Now, just two more things. I haven't uh, got the same restraint now when I was with you at the Methodist Church, uh, and we knew that there was a service right afterwards, and I was always conscious of the clock in the back of the, of the room, but uh, two or three times, I did uh, make a special point of, of, of getting through in plenty of time. And then I realized how futile that was because Archdeacon Michael took all the time I saved in the sermon to make announcements and chatting away to you after the service and I'd meet Joyce on the way up as I was coming down and i said, don't blame me, I was finished 15 minutes early. That's some of the little memories we have. But we're doing many things today and so I just want to do two more little, ep- little stories to tell you uh, before I... Go going to say, sit down and be no more seen. That's not going to be quite that way, I hope and pray. Uh, people have asked me, you know, what are the most memorable things in your ministry? And over 50 odd years, uh, I'm sure to forget some of them. So I'm just going to tell you two things, and many of you have heard me say these before, so I feel them so important that I should say them again. And they both happened in the last 10 years. Archbishop Bob Duncan and I were smuggled into Dromantine during a meeting of the primates. Neither he nor I were in that category. We were diocesan bishops. ACNA hadn't yet been formed, but we were on the verge of it. And so we were kept under wrap most of the time. We had a great day chatting together. We've never had one since that we had that leisure uh, and opportunity. And after the meeting was over and the Dramantine statement was made, which we were happy or somewhat happy, we uh, were going to have dinner with any of the primates who could come, and they were mostly Africans who came, almost all. And I didn't know any of them at that time, and I was sitting by Bishop Bill Atwood, lots of bills in the uh, uh, our uh, College of Bishops, and I was sitting by Bishop Bill Atwood, who uh, it sort of whispered at me, this is so-and-so, this is so. This is the man where they had the great uh, riots last year and so many of his people were killed. This is the man where his cathedral was bombed. You know All of those gory things he was telling me, and I realized the sacrifice some of them had to make. At the end of the evening, a primate, I think from Sedan, though I could have mixed that up, but I, I'm attributing to him anyway, He came up and said, so you're from North America? Yes, I said, I'm from Canada. And he said, well, I want to thank you because for over 150 years missionaries from your country came to our people to tell them the story of Jesus. I felt good about that. Then he said, I also want to tell you that we didn't accept them when they came. And sometimes we would take them and beat them up and At the worst times, we actually murdered them. But they still kept coming, and they kept preaching the same story till eventually uh, what they were planting began to take root, and more and more of our people came to take Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I said, what a wonderful story to bring back to my people in North America. But he wasn't finished. And he said, but Bishop we now have to send people from our country back to North America to remind you of the things you taught us. Because you're not keeping them anymore. And That moved me very, very deeply and what's given me the energy to do the things we've been doing in the last while. Lastly, and this was the most memorable of them all. Bishop uh, Murdoch was at this conference, I was too. Uh, I can't even think of where it was, when it was, except that I know we had to, it was in the States. Well, this is the States, I'm sorry. I keep thinking he's a Canadian. <laughs> it was here in your country, wherever it was. And there was a lot of bishops uh, from uh, the Global South present. And for some reason, we were going off in different directions, and during the night, a dear friend of mine, uh, Archbishop Arumbi from Uganda, had come at, at night. And uh, if, you, if you've seen Archbishop Arumbi, he's something like Saul, head and shoulders above everyone else physically, but also in many ways spiritually as well. A dear, dear, dear man who saw so many horrible things happen in his country. And yet even when they were coping with them, his love and his concern... For us was so great that he was willing to lose support from, from the American Church, for example, to side with us. And that morning, the bus was out waiting for me. I was going in one direction, and Archbishop Rumby was going in the other, and he was sitting at his at the table having breakfast. And I said, "I can't go. I mightn't see him. He might be gone by the time I get back from where we're going." And so I went into the dining room. And as I went in, he pushed back the table a bit as if he were going to get up, you know, ruin his breakfast. If he's like me, you don't like your breakfast, interrupted. But uh, at any rate, I said, Oh, no, no, Your Grace, please stay seated. I just want to bring you greetings from, from Canada, here in America, and uh, tell you how much we appreciate what you're doing. He ignored my plea altogether about not getting up. He stood up all six foot, five and a half, whatever it is. And as he took my hand... He said, my dear brother, in my country, we always stand up in the presence of a warrior. I was, a lost oh. it, as, you say, as we say sometimes, because when I knew what kind of battles he had to fight, mine were comparatively small alongside of it but he felt that he still wanted to stand in my presence. And I'm now standing in your presence, dear friends. I'm standing before you, acknowledging you as warriors, but telling you you must continue to be warriors. The battle is far from over. It's only beginning. And if I leave you any testament at all, it is this, don't get weary, and don't back off from some of the challenges you have before you, and don't keep quiet when you hear preposterous things being said by leaders of church, have the courage to speak up. Have the courage to witness. May this church here be the place where you come in to get retrained as warriors and get strengthened by the blessed sacraments, strengthened by the Word of God, and go from here out through those doors, bringing the gospel to a starving people. And don't get caught up on incidental things that the devil will try to put in your way, making you believe it's important. When I attended the only Lambeth conference I ever attended, 1998, the gospel, as we did here today, we brought the gospel down so far to read it. A group of Brazilian dancers, now some of you are going to tune off on that right away, but it was very effective, and I don't go for a lot of that stuff either, but a group of Brazilian dancers led the gospel procession right down the aisle of Canterbury Cathedral. And the gospel was proclaimed there. And I said, now we're going to see the, the dancers lead the gospel back up to the altar again, and that'd be wonderful, because they were dancing lovely. Instead, at that moment, the great doors of Canterbury Cathedral I'm getting too old for this. <laughs> it's hard to tell it. The great doors were opened and instead of bringing the gospel back up to the altar, it was brought out into the world. And that was so dramatic and so meaningful. And that's what I'm saying to you. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't bring in a troop of dancers and go out to the streets of French Hill. No, don't get me wrong. The message I'm trying to give you and I know you know what it is, is that as important as that gospel is to you while you were in here, it's even more important that it not stay here. You know the best thing that happened on the day of Pentecost? The apostles, who were quite happy in the upper room by this time, when they got filled with the Holy Spirit, they couldn't stay there anymore. They got the apostles out of their security, out of their comfort zone, out into the streets of Jerusalem where they proclaimed the gospel as drunken people, they were so excited about it. The line in Shakespeare says what's past is prologue. All this past is only leading up to something else. And I believe that with all my heart. Leading up to something that's going to be very wonderful, very true, and fulfilling the word of God as his word is brought to those who need it, even to those who don't realize they haven't got it. May God bless and keep you throughout the year, and may next Pentecost Sunday, may you all feel at that time that you have moved a step closer to what he wants you to do. Maybe I should close with, of all people, Billy Graham. I don't often quote Billy Graham. Maybe I should quote him more sometimes. Just let me say a simple line, as he used to close off his radio shows. May the Lord bless you real good. (laughs) Amen.